Welcome to the Wordsmith Podcast. I'm Josh Bennett, lead pastor of Awakened Church, joined by Matthew Grady Calhoun. Nick. And executive pastor Shane, Jer- Jeremy Shane Suggs. That's right. And we are back for episode three, season five of the Wordsmith Podcast. And we have a few traditions here at the Wordsmith. And one of those is every football season, we put in our preseason football picks. So let's go ahead and get those in college football preseason picks. What do you guys think is going to happen? I am not very famous for making predictions. Like I, I never generally make predictions. Like even on teams that I'm a fan of, like uh, I don't normally put on my fan goggles and say we're going to go all the way this year, or, you know, go undefeated or anything like that. So it's not in my wheelhouse to make predictions because I don't. I keep up with sports, but not well enough to know. Hey, well, this team's got this player, but this one's injured. I, like, I don't keep up with all that kind of stuff. So, I'd like to see the dogs run it back, but uh, you know, we'll see. It's and there's always some predictions you can make. Alabama will do well. Like that's you know groundbreaking prediction there. Yeah. So, but I gonna, have heard. Give us, that, give us your final four or the four playoff teams you think is going to make it this year. Four playoff. I'd like to. Well, what I think Georgia and. Maybe even Alabama, but I, Oklahoma, I don't know, because they're always strong. Yeah. So what's the hot picks right now? It's Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. Yeah, I and would then think Clemson? Ohio State. Uh, who's, the, who's the fourth team that everybody's predicting to be in? I mean, Clemson's probably the most common one, yeah. Yeah. But didn't they fall off kind of last yeah, year? Yeah, they did. I'm trying to think of who the – I saw some guy on ESPN saying that he saw Kentucky going all the way, like – the only team they will lose to is Tennessee, which apparently Tennessee's coming back this year is what I hear. Apparently every year. Well, that is true. Yeah. All right, so give us your four. Who, who yeah, I mean, that's – I mean, so I, is, I go – Is it, is I it always, Kentucky, Oklahoma? <laughs> who no, are we going with? no, I always pick the blue chip schools just because they have a history of winning. So, I mean, it, it would it would be Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, either Clemson, maybe Oklahoma. Okay. Going with a new coach there in Oklahoma. That's interesting. All right, Matthew. Well, let me see. Uh, so I think Alabama will win the SEC. Uh, I think Georgia will have one regular season loss. We'll drop it somebody. I'm not sure who. Um, but we'll still win the East, but then we'll lose to Alabama in the SEC championship. I think Alabama, I'm going to say they go undefeated. The game against A&M intrigues me, and their game against LSU intrigues me. Uh, but really, aside from that, that's it. Um, so I'm going to say they're undefeated going into the playoff. I'm going to say Georgia has two losses at that point, so they won't make the playoff. Uh, I say Clemson wins the ACC, but not like Clemson used to win it uh, during the Trevor Lawrence days when they would go into, they'd be undefeated during the regular season and then get to playoff. I'm going to say Clemson will have at least one loss. And they will not have a high flying offense. They'll just be more talented than everybody else that they play under schedule. Uh, so they'll come in with one loss in the ACC championship. I'm going to pick Texas to win the Big 12. Ooh. I just think the turnover in Oklahoma will be too much. And I think Texas will be extra motivated because the f- they would always start games really well last year. And then they would fail <laughs> in the second half. And it was always funny because their coach would always say, all gas, no brakes. Well, no, apparently they would hit brakes every single time. So I'm going to take Texas to win the Big 12. 
I, I'm going to say they lose to Alabama as they play in the, the non-conference this year, but I, I still think they'll have enough to, to um, go undefeated in the Big 12. And then for the fourth and final, oh, Ohio State. Yeah, I'm going to take Ohio State to be undefeated. Um, I think the Michigan game this year will be close, but I still think they'll beat Michigan. They'll be extra motivated because of last year's loss. And as far as who wins, I'm going to take if Ohio State is healthy and if their defense is just one scotch better than it was last year, I'll take Ohio State to win the, nat- the natty. Wow. Coming in hot with the Ohio State prediction. The Ohio State. I'll be rooting against them to be sure, but that's that's yeah. who, who I would pick. <laughs> so let's go through my thought process here. Uh, I'm going to say a couple things. One, I don't. I think Texas is going to be a dumpster fire, um, but we'll see. Who knows? I mean, but what competition do they have? And I mean, I agree. I think Oklahoma is going to be down. So I, I don't. Maybe they win. I don't know. Yeah, I think they'll be an offensive team. I don't think they have much of a defense. <clears throat> yeah. And then I'm interested to see how Dan Lanning does at Oregon. Mm-hmm. I think that may be one of Georgia's toughest tests, even though it is Oregon. I just I'm interested. I mean, nobody expects him to win the world his first season, but sure. I think he'll do well. Uh, all right. So here's my prediction for Final Four. One, I think Alabama will not win the West. I'm not sure where that loss is coming. I could see a couple of different places where I think, hey, maybe here, maybe there. But I just I feel like they're not going to win it this year. I I hope it is not to LSU. Because I don't want to see Brian Kelly win the West in his first year. That's just personal. Mm-hmm. I think USC is going to make the playoffs. I think Ohio State's going to make the playoffs. Mm. I think Georgia is going to make the playoffs because I think they're going to win the SEC. And then I think for the first time ever, we're going to get a debate of whether three teams should make the playoffs from the SEC. Because I think you're going to have Alabama with one loss, and then you're going to have whoever beat them for the West lose to Georgia, and it's going to be at least a conversation of whether three teams should. Of course, they're not going to. And I think ultimately Alabama will get into the playoffs. Let's just say for sake, we'll say Georgia will play USC because that would be really fun, and Alabama will play Ohio State. I think Ohio State beat Alabama. Georgia beats USC. Ohio State beats. Oh, I can't do that. Well, just because I'm a homer, we'll go with Georgia will beat Ohio State because I can't say that they're going to beat Georgia. I hope so. And so that, I'll, I'll stick to those guns. I mean, do I really think that's going to happen? I don't know. But sure, yeah. you got to make predictions of some sort. So I will say this. I'm Usually this time of year, man, I am so like in tune with what's going on in college football. I am listening to every podcast. I am reading every practice report. This year, my care level is not so high. And really? I'm, I'm not – I don't know. The national championship did something to desensitize me a little. I don't know. And it wasn't that the national championship wasn't fulfilling. It was mm. very fulfilling. Oh, sure, yeah. I don't know. I hope the team doesn't feel the way I do. So, anyway, we'll see. All right, let's move on to our conversation cards for today. Pastor Shane's favorite time of the podcast every week. Your question that is sarcasm, for, in case you did not catch it. Your question for today. What's the number one thing on your bucket list? I don't do bucket list, don't care about bucket list, but I have thought, I mean, because we, we got this question, um, well, technically, I thought it might be a possibility yesterday, didn't know definite till uh, we came in this morning, and like, okay, this is definitely going to be, 
our questions. So, and I don't know what you put on a bucket list. I, is it like it, sometimes it's places you travel, people mm, you want to meet. Stuff you want to do before you die. Yeah. Like I wouldn't mind meeting John Meacham. That would be pretty cool, I think. Um, he's one of my favorite authors. I, I like him. Uh, he does podcasts now too. Um, I don't know if it's bucket list worthy necessarily. There's probably a lot more famous people out there. But if I had to say like this is one thing I'd love to do on a bucket list – I would like to attend Socrates in the city. And to be honest, I didn't see either one of those things coming. Um, <clears throat> I can see the Meacham one. And if you don't know what Socrates in the city is, it's basically in Manhattan. They have this, it's like a conversation symposium about life, God, science, mm-hmm. you know, apologetics, so that, sure, that sure. sort of thing. Um, I think Eric Metaxas is the one who, who leads that. Normally he is. Uh, there have been a few stand-ins from sure, from sure. time to time, but yeah, I've always found that really interesting. Whenever I have watched it, so I'd, I'd like to attend that at some point. That would be a cool bucket. I probably never will, but I'm just saying, if if I had to, like, hey, this is a bucket list thing, mm-hmm. uh, I'd like to go to Socrates in the city. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure, that'd be fun. You can visit New York while you're there. Yeah, Manhattan. I could have gotten a year to guess a thousand things that would have been on your bucket list. I'd have gotten neither one of those. Uh, well. Neither one of them. But, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad. I just... Yeah. Surprised. So, what, okay, if you were to guess, like, just guess one thing that would be on... I just want to see if it's on my bucket list. I don't really have a bucket list, but I'm saying, yeah, I could put that on my bucket list. Let me see. Just guess. Off the top of your dome, I could see this on your bucket list. Well, I would say like going out to see like the West, like Montana and stuff, but we just did that in May. You're yeah. taking your wife back. So that would yeah. be, that was where my first thought went. Yeah. For you. Yeah. There are places I would like to visit and see. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that I had a thought. I just, if I had a year to think of it, I still wouldn't come up with the two you said. So you don't know what it would be. You just know what it wouldn't be. Well, I mean, just surprising. That's all I was saying. Not bad. Okay. Just surprising. Uh, Three doors down in concert. That's a bucket list for you. No, for you. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I can see that on yeah. there, yeah. Yeah, uh, there you yeah. go. Matt knows me pretty well. So yeah, I'm a big fan of Three Doors Down. There you go. All right. All right Pastor Matt, what's your bucket list? Sure. Uh, uh, I am much like Pastor Shane. I obviously don't have a formal one. I feel like most people don't have a formal one, but there are probably a few of our listeners would probably have written down or th- really thought through this extensively. So, yeah, I mean, there's a myriad of different places I'd like to visit. Columbus, I, Indiana. <laughs> yes, actually, that would be a good one. Columbus is just a weird, honeymoon alert weird place. Honeymoon no, alert. No. <laughs> I could, I could not sell a list on that. I don't think. Yeah. Um, Where y'all going on your honeymoon? No, Columbus, that's, Indiana. That's too weird and too nerdy for me. Um, for her. Anyway, so yeah, if if I had to pick one, and now, so for my interpretation of the bucket list is, it still has to be within the the bounds of reality. Sure. So it has to be at least fairly realistic that this could happen. So I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say I get to go to um, Atlanta United playoff victory in Mercedes Benz Stadium. Okay, yeah, that would be, be my my bucket list. Yeah, it's a little bit more special than just a regular season game, which I would also like to go to. But yeah, a playoff victory I think would be not even championship, just playoff. Yeah, no, see championship. I'm asking too much. They already they already got us the one. They broke Georgia curse. I'm, I'm not gonna ask too much of them. Man, they broke it and the floodgates opened. They did. Hey, <laughs> just took three years. Or whatever. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go the route of places to go. 
because uh, that's kind of where my mind goes the bucket list more than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my bucket list is it's a tie, and I'm just gonna give you both of them because I can't decide. It's either an African safari or a Mediterranean cruise. And see, you know, Venice and all those Mediterranean hmm. little ports and cities. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be yeah, neat. I can see that. I'd just be neat I to go on a Mediterranean cruise because you could catch all of those port cities and be pretty neat. But an African safari, safari is pretty interesting and tr- intriguing. Until yeah, you to get me eaten well. by a lion. Yeah, nobody ever gets eaten by a lion on that. That you know safaris. of. You would know about it. <laughs> really? You would see it you on hear? the news. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Not convinced, huh? Hmm. No. I mean, a hippo, those things are pretty vicious, too. Yeah, hippo's like the most dangerous animal in the safari. Yes. The only animal that kills more people annually is a mosquito. Really? Just still a stretch. Yeah. We're going to call a mosquito an animal. It's malaria, technically. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's an insect. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, no. Hippos are very, very dangerous creatures. Yeah, I ain't going over there to get killed. So you would even want to do an African no, safari? not at all. Nothing about that appeals to me. But I can see really? where you would want to, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'd be it, for a long time, that's been the top of my bucket list. However, I've really liked the idea of the Mediterranean cruise. Jamie wants to go to Ireland. That's her. Yeah, see, I, there's so her, much of Europe I would love to see. Never seen any of Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me either. Ha- hippos cannot swim. That's interesting. It's a common misunderstanding. They float and then they'll get close enough to the bank to where they can run. I'm starting to feel like hippos are as to Matt as whale sharks are to Alyssa. So yes. what do they do? Pretty close. Like really? When ter- you see them, except I've I'm seen terrified them, of them. I've seen them behind <laughs> boats before in videos, and they're like kind of going up and down in the water. They're mm-hmm. like jumping off the bottom Essentially, or something? yes. Oh, okay. Because it almost looks like they're hopping in the water because, I mean, there's like yeah. – yeah. It's like they're going down, but then they're coming up, and their mm-hmm. mouth's wide open. and yeah. It's like, nah, nothing about that appeals to me. Yeah, they can snap your arm off in one bite. Uh, they've been recorded to travel around 100 miles to uh, ward off a predator or someone they felt like was um, risking injury to their children or what have you. So they could essentially seek you out. Yeah. Hippo's terrifying, man. Yeah. Yeah. No. So Coming at you. No. No I'll bucket what, list. I'll give you one guess hippos. to guess my favorite safari animal. An antelope? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're just trying to go, because you're assuming it'd be a hard answer. So yeah. you skipped over lion, elephant, giraffe. Good choice, but no, it's not antelope. Mm. Want to take a shot at it, Pastor Matt? Uh, wow. Monkey. No. Rhinoceros. Huh. Uh, when Sawyer was eight months old, we went to the San Diego Zoo, and we saw two rhinoceroses fighting. And mm. I mean fighting. They were ramming each other, and they one of them would pick the other one up with the horn under its chin yeah. and then drop it. You could feel the ground shake because these things weigh like two tons or something. Yeah, oh, yeah, they're big. And ever since, I mean, they have like blood pouring from their face. Sure, yeah. I thought this was a once-in-a-lifetime guy, and the guy's like, no, they're brothers. They do it every day. <laughs> and um, But it was so cool. I was like, man, rhinoceroses are awesome. So Yeah, that'd be cool animal. to see. Oh, it was very cool. We videoed it, but it was back when cell phones were so bad. That like even if we st- we don't have it, but even if we have still had s- the video, it would be so grainy that you sometimes would, uh, you'll see it like on YouTube. They'll be ramming some of those tourist um, buses see? and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I don't, yeah. I don't. See, I don't want any that of would, that. That would enhance the experience. No, have you ever? Not at all. You, I know you never did, but back in Universal when Jaws was open, like you would ride the boat and Jaws would like tilt the boat over and stuff. Yeah, it's part of the experience, man. Yeah, no. Given that was a controlled environment, but sure. No, nothing about that appeals to me. So. Yeah. Well, that's our bucket list. Let's get into the Bible. We'll call this episode Bucket List and Bible. And um, 
Wordsmith, Season 5, Episode 3. We're going to be looking at just four verses out of the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Matt, would you read for us Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16? You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Okay, we're out of the gate here with some of the most popular verses Mm -hmm. um, out of the Sermon on the Mount. Yep. Salt of the earth, light of the world, city on a hill. Have y'all preached from these? Most people Oh, have. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Most pastors have. I would yeah, say I almost have. anybody that's preached has preached sure. these verses at some point or another. Yeah, if you're worth your salt, you're going to... Hey, look at there. Look yeah, at that you know, pun by Pastor now. Yeah, I, I, I tried hard to work that in. Because, you know, that's actually, in in this day, uh, in some areas, salt was used for, like, money almost. Like, you really? yeah. Uh, and that's where they get the term "worth your salt." Okay, because uh, yeah. uh, you it's if, a big trade if you, commodity if you in work, the world. Yeah, if salt. you work really hard, you would you know you'd get more salt. If you work less, you get mm-hmm. less salt. Mm-hmm. So they that's where the term actually originated. Is that uh, salt was actually used to pay a day's wages? So hey, this guy was worth his salt today. Yeah. So well, you know, going along those lines, what are some of the cultural understandings of salt? In the culture that Jesus is delivering this message, what was the purpose of salt when when he hear when they hear Jesus talk about salt? What are they thinking about? Well, salt was used to preserve food. I mean, you, you think about it; you don't yeah. have refrigeration and these sorts of things, so mm-hmm. salt was used to preserve. One of the primary purposes, right? Yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, it was it we use it more for taste now. It was used more to preserve then, though it was used for taste, but that wasn't its primary. Um, usage in, in that day, though it was a usage. Yeah. Well, you know, and you say we don't really, but we do. Every canned packaged item in the store has salt in it for that purpose. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, um, salt had a myriad of different uses. One of the reasons is, uh, and this is argued about over the years about what precisely Jesus is talking about here, is because uh, there was a guy who wrote an entire book, it was several hundred pages long, about salt in Scripture and its very uses and what it means. So salt is a lot like gnat. Like, if you and I talk about gnats, we know about what we're talking about. We're talking about those little tiny black mm-hmm. insects. But if you go up to Tennessee where they don't have gnats, they do have other animals that they are other creatures, insects, that they call gnats. And if you go over to Egypt, they have animals that they call gnats that are different from ours. So it's kind of this general term that's applied to a bunch of different specific species. Mm-hmm. Salt's the same way. That's why there's confusion about particularly what he's talking about here. I will tell you, I don't think he's talking about sodium chloride, which is uh, obviously a table salt. Um, but it's possible that he is talking about sodium chloride. I don't think he is. But th- this is one of the reasons why if you read about this, if you look at multiple col- commentaries, you'll get different answers. Because mm, sure. one guy counted, and he found 11 different things it could conceivably be <laughs> referring to. <Really? laughs> Which I unfortunately couldn't find the list, but I thought that was a little too nerdy for us today yeah. to get into like 11 different uses of salt. <laughs> so if you don't think he's talking about sodium chloride, what do you think he's talking about? Uh, all right, so I, my mind changed on this a couple of years ago, and it was due to this guy. I've listened to him for years. His name is Dr. Anthony Bradley. He wrote an article for Christianity Today called, You Are the Manure of the Earth. It came out in 2016. I remember all these years later. 
where he's basically talking about his argument, and he leans more on Luke than Matthew, but Luke's his uh, proving passage more so than Matthew. But he argues that he's actually talking about fertilizer, salt. You would add this salt to the fertilizer to make it better fertilizer or whatever. And he makes the argument that that's the sort of salt he's talking about. Yeah, see, you would lose me on the manure losing its taste. Yes, yeah. That, um, that would be my my difficulty with that in, interpretation. Yeah, so the Luke passage is, salt is good, but it loses its, its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It is fit, fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile, pile it is thrown out. Taste is actually, uh, our interpreters trying to insert that word. The word in Greek is not taste. What is it? It's literally foolishness. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's obviously, that st- statement doesn't make sense in English, right? Right. So that's why we have all these different term interp- interpretations. But that would seem a big jump from, in, in, in an interpret, and again, I've never interpreted oh, sure, anything, sure, sure. but to interpret yeah, none of us are something scholars, that would be, sure. be interpreted yeah. foolishness to interpret it taste, that, that seems like it's, you yeah. know, I mean, it's just... Um, yeah, the literal word is foolishness. That's yeah. where the problem becomes. Yeah. Everyone reads that and knows he's not talking about foolishness in the sense um, that salt is foolishness, because I think that's what literally would say. So right. what does that mean? Is it taste? Is it saltiness? Is it savor? Is it flavor? It lost its purpose. Yeah. If you look or if you look at a bunch of different English translations, common English translations, you'll get many, multiple different answers to that. Yeah. <clears throat> well, what from my reading, they they were talking about not necessarily salt as a you know like a seasoning or whatever, mm-hmm. or or it was talking about the purity of salt. Not being contaminated by other sure. things, because they said the uh, the Dead Sea had salt in it, but it was contaminated by gypsum and mm-hmm. and other minerals. And they would take they would scoop that out of the Dead Sea, and they would put it along paths to keep vegetation from growing. So you would know it was a path; it, right. things wouldn't grow up mm-hmm. uh, there. Which is, I mean, it's alluded to in the passage itself. But he was saying the the main point of it is not being contaminated by these other things is the, the point of the salt is yeah. that it would stay sure. salty, like it would yeah. stay original to its its essence. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that's one of the valid interpretations. But again, right. we get there's eleven different things. Yeah. But I, even with the eleven different things, you ultimately come down to some idea of perseverance or not perseverance, I apologize. Preservation. That's sure. that's normally the idea that you're separate, you're different from what is going on in the world is congruent in pretty much every interpretation, yeah. even if the particulars are a little bit different. Yeah, and I think, okay, so ultimately the, the purpose of this would be preservation, as you're saying, and mm-hmm. then also this idea that the world needs you. Yes. You know, whether mm-hmm. it's a, a meat that needs yeah. preservation mm-hmm. or a soil that needs fertilizing. So, I mean, you look at the analogy and go, okay, uh, maybe this is an idiom that we don't quite completely understand, mm-hmm. but we understand the purpose of it. Yeah. Yeah. Is that as believers, the world needs us. Jesus is, is saying the world needs believers. And then we also say, um, wow, what confidence Jesus put in these young group of believers. Yeah. You are the salt of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, in, in essence, he's saying, without you, the world has no hope. Yeah. And I believe you can do it, and then you look historically, and they did do it. You know, right. yeah. um, change the world, and so that you know, there's some great um, strength in that. That Jesus says, "I believe in you," and you know, some Christians take the saltiness to a whole new level. Sure, um, you know, I think one of the bad things about salt is that uh, it can increase your blood pressure, and there's yeah, a lot of Christians increasing yeah. blood pressure of people around the world. <laughs> 
Um, but, you know, this is a positive thing that yeah. believers should embrace and should be um, a part of changing the world for the better mm-hmm. and the world ultimately um, needs us. Yeah, and that actually is, if you read that article by Dr. Anthony Bradley, that's his argument, yeah. is that you are the fertilizer so that everything else can grow. And yeah. throughout church history, we have seen the church, when it's been at its best, which is obviously not always, but when it's been at its best, the church goes to difficult places, to difficult people, people mm-hmm. on the outside, the outcast, and they are a light and a, a, a um, an encouragement. They are making those places better, and we still see that even today. Many churches around the world now are figuring out how can we better reach our community, how can we better make our community safer, healthier, all these different things. Yeah. We've seen that throughout church yeah. history. Yeah, one of the critiques that I, I'd read about these verses, uh, especially on the, the salt, but it, it, on the light side as well, mm-hmm. was that this is one of those verses more people than not don't try to, and I, I, I think we have here, but they don't try to interpret these verses in their original context. They they go ahead and transport them to what we're in 2022. Mm -hmm. They try to transport it to a modern sense and say, okay, what we understand about salt and light now, what would these verses mean? But that's, you know, that would be an incorrect method of, you know, interpreting any scripture. But what, what he, his, his critique was, this is one of those verses that it seems so susceptible. Like you hear more about in a modern context, like, like a lot of, uh, commentators and pastors alike do it more with this verse than they do other verses sure. that are around. Well, and it. it's natural. I mean, if you read a word in the English language, yeah. you're going to automatically assume your definition of what that word means. Right. And then sometimes, I mean, the translators just doing the best they can. Oh, absolutely. Because all yeah. things don't translate well. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I love how Kent Hughes kind of wrapped up his thoughts on this. He said, "We are salt, and he wants us to cultivate our saltiness by constantly communing with him and being constantly filled with the Spirit." Then he wants us to get out of the salt shaker and into the world, rubbed into the rotting wounds of this world. And he wants us to remember that though we are not much, a little salt goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And I think um, encouraging words there to the believers, you are the salt. And then, Pastor Shane, you alluded to the light. So let's talk about the yeah. next verses, the light of the world. What cultural understanding would they have had of light, and how does that affect our interpretation of this passage? Well, one thing was light was not readily available then as it is now. Um, oh, sure, yeah. And I think we had to, had a much deeper significance mm-hmm. um, then, I guess more so than it does. Uh, yeah, I mean, they obviously weren't uh, flipping switches. Yeah, right. But the very nature, and, and it's alluded to, in, or no, it's actually explicit in, the, in these verses, the very nature of light is that it, is not to hide it like mm-hmm. like the, that's the very nature and essence yeah. of light is to be seen mm-hmm. yeah. and to to see is so like it would it would be it would be very nonsensical to have a light and then cover it up because that's yeah. the very opposite of the purpose of light mm-hmm. right so um, we have to understand it I think in that context yeah well and I think about too this passage talking about a city on a hill. Whenever I read this, I automatically think about cities like Zion, which were built on oh, the sure. peak of a mountain. Mm-hmm. They, sure. So that they, and it was mainly a defense strategy that if you're at the top, right. you know, mm-hmm. you can defend everything coming against you. Yeah. But you can't hide a city like that. Right. And especially if that city is lit up with lights. I don't know why my mind just automatically goes to that mental picture of Zion and a city on a hill and things. So, mm-hmm. Pastor Matt, you got some thoughts on the 
Yeah, light. Uh, I think light, also the, the aspect of it, light exposes, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously an idea we see in Scripture a lot, this idea that you, you cannot hide. <laughs> uh, it, it obviously, we went back through right First John, right? So you can't hide your uh, sin in darkness. Eventually, the light's coming for you one way or the other, which means we need to deal with it now in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, not wait for uh, judgment day, so to speak. So light is exposes, and it's also an active agent. So it's interesting to me that you have these two examples where I think at their core, they're the same thing, but they have a slight difference, right? So salt of the earth is this idea of preservation, that these are the... You're going to make things better. You're going to enable it to where life can continue the way the God created the world, whereas light is much more active. It's much more like you have to actively change this. You have to actively uh, be progressive in the way in which you're changing or, or you're making the world around you more in line with God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not trying to make it political, but it is interesting that you have this conservative aspect of salt, and then you have the progressive aspect of light, and Jesus uses both of these things which is what I think ultimately at the end of the day, we think always in terms of our own American politics, but ultimately, if you're going to live in a community and if you're going to be committed to God's kingdom in the here and the now, there's times where you have to be focused on conserving things, and there's times where you have to be focused on changing things and and exposing things. And it's interesting to me that you see both those uh, examples here in these two illustrations. Yeah. Um, Let's try to bring some resolution to a slight appearance of contradiction in the Scripture. So here Jesus says, you are the light of the world. However, in John, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So let's bring some resolution to those statements. So I haven't even thought about that, so that's a good uh, parallel. Just off the top of my head, to be in Christ is to be a little Christ. Therefore, we are little lights, but we don't shine our own light. We shine Jesus' light. Right. We we would be more a reflection of the true light. Sure, Um, though we would have that light ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think Dr. Barnhouse, and I wish I had his first name, but I don't, but I think he does a great way of explaining it. In fact, he's referred to sometimes as a master of illustration. But he said, when Christ was in the world, he was like the si- shining sun that is here in the day and gone at night. When the sun sets, the moon comes up. The moon, the church, shines, but not its own light. It shines the reflected mm-hmm. light. When Jesus was in the world, he said, I am the light of the world. But as he contemplated leaving the world, he said, you are the light of the world. At times, the church has been at full moon, dazzling the world with an almost daytime light. There are times of great enlightenment, times such as those of Paul or Luther or Wesley. And at other times, the church has been a thumbnail moon with very little light shining upon the earth. Whether the church is a full moon or a new thumbnail moon, waxing or waning, it reflects the light of the sun. Yeah. And I think that's just a poetic way of illustrating what sure. how those two things are not contradictory but instead yeah. they draw in together that we have no we don't originate the light sure. we reflect the light right. mm-hmm. and, and like mm-hmm. even if you read the Genesis account of creation you know God created light before he did the sun you know you're like oh, how does that happen you know sure that's interesting i hadn't thought about that yeah light was created and before it was recorded at least that the sun yeah. was created so so ultimately, wrapping these two things up, how should Christians live as salt and light in the world around us? We should be salty. Be salty. So when you come into Awaken on Sunday, mm-hmm. just make sure you're salty. <laughs> Talk about cultural no, think, definitions and explanations. I think of we words. should definitely share the gospel because you know the the Bible says about the Word of God that it's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
And I think in at least akin to that, Christians should be shining that same light, the gospel light, sure. to to illuminate understanding and mm-hmm. culture and all these other sort of things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, we look at this idea that Christians the world needs believers. They the world needs the salt that we talked about. And one trend, and I don't think it's as much now as it was maybe late 90s, early 2000s, was almost this sense of isolation. Like you'd see mm-hmm. churches create their own rec leagues and their own schools, and they're like almost a compound to where you could live life yeah. inside this, mm-hmm. this church. But the world needs us. Like the world mm-hmm. needs believers in the local rec departments. The world needs believers in the local schools and community organizations and all the different ways because if we remove our salt from all those areas, they're going to continue to decay. They're going to continue to be deprived of the thing that can bring preservation and fertilization to those things. So the world needs the salt. So my thinking about this, especially from the site, the salt perspective is be involved, be involved in the world around you. Now you don't want to be influenced by the world around you, but you want to be an influencer Mm -hmm. in the world around you. Mm -hmm. And so the world needs us. Yeah. And I think this, Partly what he's talking about is, you know, we just went through the Beatitudes, and this is this is sort of the nature. These are the things that those who are part of my kingdom, are they're going to be uh, known by these things uh, of being meek and, and being uh, merciful and, and uh, persevering through persecution or whatever. And I think this passage even ends, right, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give gl- glory to your Father in heaven. And I think this is an idea that we've, I think we've mentioned it in every single podcast, this idea that we were created for good works. It's just our good works don't save us. Right. <laughs> we are saved, and then God uh, has already beforehand prepared good works that we are now supposed to walk in. Um, and again, it's that great Martin Luther quote, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Yeah. And so for us to strive to uh, be good to the people around us, to our neighbors, even to our enemies, I think is... Uh, an undeniable aspect of what it is to follow Jesus in the world today and forever. Yeah. And under the undercurrent of this passage and the meaning and the purpose behind this gives you one of the distinctives of our church culture here is that everybody on staff has to be involved in something outside of the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we do that because we want our saltiness to be in the world around us and not just be about what's going on in our church and with people in our church and specifically and I think we've said this before, but, you know, Pastor Matt serves with CASA, court-appointed special advocate. Pastor Shane serves um, with hospice, and then I serve at Legacy Village. But I was thinking specifically about Legacy Village with this. They practice what they call a ministry of presence. And the way it was explained to me when I first came on as a chaplain there was, we just want you around. Mm-hmm. You don't have a specific job of do this or do that. Mm-hmm. We just want you around because you being around makes a difference. Your presence makes a difference. And I think that's true of Christians in the world around us. How vocal should believers be about their faith? Think about this I light think, on, the wor- on the hill. I think they need to use discernment on their vocalness. I don't even know if that's a word, but sure. I, I think they should use discernment. I don't I don't think and I've heard people say this before. That's why I'm I'm being vocal about this because I don't think this is the right way to do it. They I, I live a Christ like life I don't I don't preach to anybody. I don't, you know, I'm not trying to shove it down their throat. That's how they normally word it. I'm you know, I just try to live a Christ-like life and and hopes that that would draw them to Christ. 
but that's not what the Bible says we are to do. The the scriptures say, how then can they call on the one who they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard of? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So it, I'm not I'm not trying to minimize living a Christ-like example sure. to yeah, others, right. but I am saying that alone. Uh, we've heard the Francis Agrippi, uh, yeah, no, Assisi, Assisi, yeah, yeah. And it, the faux quote, yeah, and, and we don't even know if it's really a quote of his, mm-hmm. but it's been attributed to him. So we'll just say that, yeah. like, like um, preach the world to all the gospel and use words if you have to, mm-hmm. um, yeah. to kind of back up that that lifestyle of evangelism. Right. A lifestyle of evangelism is good, but in and of itself is not effective. You you need right. there needs to be words that accompany it. You need to actually literally share the gospel. Yeah. And we see this in the way God presents the gospel. He gave us general revelation, which would be akin to living the gospel to other people. But then he gave us specific revelation, which would be akin to us actually using our words to mm-hmm. tell people yeah. mm-hmm. the good news of Jesus. And and I don't know if if we've kind of because that's to to be a I'm using air quotes because you can't see me. To be a good person, I, I just try to be a good person in hopes that that will draw people to the gospel. It's just not a biblical concept. I think we should live to be a good person. but And, and I think that's maybe easier than actually saying, look, this you know, this is what the Bible says, you know, you, you, you're lost and you need to be found and, you know, you're— mm-hmm. You know, you're a sinner, not a mistaker. Because, uh, and I preached this Sunday, like, and it's it's not original to me, but whoever I stole it from, it's not original to them. The Bible doesn't call us mistakers; it calls us sinners. Mm-hmm. Um, but most people say, "Well, no, I'm a good person. I just sometimes make mistakes." You know, yeah. no, the you you sin. Like, if yeah. I forget to take out the garbage, that's a mistake. If I lie to my wife, that's a sin. It's not yeah. a mistake. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and the whole idea, I'm a good person. I mean, you preached Romans 3 this weekend, but I mean, it makes it very clear. There's no one good. Yeah. And we're, Jesus we're not said, good there's people. only one that's good, and mm-hmm. that's God. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I, I'd push back a little bit just because, again, that's not what, I mean, the passage even says it there. In the same way, let your light shine for others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So I, I do think, you're obviously quoting from Romans there. So I, I think that there's a temptation, and you made this clear when you started, there's a temptation to make it a dichotomy. You can do either one or the other. But I think you need to commit to living like Christ, to following after him, and then naturally waiting for opportunities to then share your message. Yeah, yeah. that's why I was talking about yeah. discernment. You that's need right. to have discernment on yeah. when to actually Absolutely. be vocal. Because yeah. um, I've seen it go the other way, and... This is a pet peeve of mine, and if you do this, I'm sorry. The The people that stand on the street corners with the sure. megaphone yep. yelling at people that are going to hell, and if you don't repent and turn, and I'm just like, my every time I go back, my stomach turns, and the reason it does is kind of like, they're doing more harm for the gospel sure. than they are. Like, I want to know how many people have repented and turned and give their life to Jesus at a street yeah, corner somebody yelling. Yeah, people see that as Christianity in their life, and it turns yeah. them off. I right. mean, it really does. And we'll get into that in our deep dive in just a minute. We'll be back in just a minute for our deep dive into the negative connotations of Christianity and how we overcome that in a world to be like Jesus. Back in just a minute. Okay, we are back for our deep dive, and today we're going to talk about the idea of how Christians are perceived in our culture and how we should respond to that. 
Um, in a day when Christianity has some strong negative connotations, and some people, like our street preachers we talked about a minute ago, give us some bad reputations, how do we strive to be examples to a world of the true Jesus and the need they have for him? I think there's a balance to be had. Oh, sure. You don't want to come across as holier than thou, but you don't want, also don't want to excuse sin and culture mm-hmm. and sure. the society that we live in. So there's there's some sort of balance that that is to be had in there, and I don't know how often we always get it right. And, and sometimes it, some people, no matter what you say, because they're like, I, I don't want to hear any of this. I don't want to accept any of this. No matter what you say, they're you know they're going to have a preconceived idea about you. Uh, and we often that's all usually like a negative thing, like like hey Christians are judging me. It's like no, you're judging them too. Like we we all judge each other. Like that's that's nothing new. Like we all do that. The I think the correct you got to judge them correctly. And that's so often I think, and not just on this topic, but so many others. We form opinions from the headlines, not the actual article. I'm not saying that in any particular topic, but I'm just saying like sure. we whichever way we're moving on this then, you know, we're just going to keep moving in that way. But all we've ever read was the headline to the article. Yeah. We hadn't ever actually read well, the And article. that becomes very real in a clickbait culture because, I mean, now you have headlines that you click on the article. I don't know you weren't talking about a, a yeah, specific, yeah. you know, but you, you click on the article, and the article doesn't even support or state what the headline did. The headline was just to grab your attention. right? And so then you see people shared, can you believe – this happened here, and like, well, how'd you find? That? I read the headline of something. Well, if you read the article, you realize that that didn't even happen. Like, right, it was just to grab but your attention. See that we do that, like, just not in an actual article, but like, hey, Christians judge. Yeah. That's the headline. But then yeah. you read it, it's like, oh, we're, these Christians are judging correctly. They're they're calling yeah. sin sin, and it's in their own house. Like they're yeah. saying, hey, if you're going to be part of this body, you you know, yeah. we got to get rid. And that's that's not at all what, how they run with it. And so I think... We- and there's two types of negative attention that Christians get, negative connotation. One is when they're overly legalistic, they're overly shouting, yelling, forcing their beliefs, you know, all these different things that you get accused of. And the other ones, sometimes you get negative connotations for just standing for truth and sure. just speaking mm-hmm. truth and oh, just sure. l- believing truth. Yeah. And so as a believer, that's where your discernment comes in of y- you can't shy away from, well, that people are going to hate me if I believe the truth. Yeah, and then, but then there, you also don't have to be a jerk about it. There are some people who are self righteous. I mean, that's the only way to say it. That they think, well, if everybody hates me, I must be doing something right, sure. you know, because they hated Jesus before. Yeah. No, they hate you because you're a jerk and you're yeah. wrong on this, whatever yeah. it may be. I, I literally <laughs> was listening to a podcast yesterday of, um, I, I won't even say what denomination this guy was from, but he said, in all my days of ministry, I have one day where I didn't receive a hate mail letter. And I went in and wrote myself one because I was afraid I was doing something wrong if I didn't get one. <laughs> I was like, eh, yeah, see, that's, that's off track for sure. Yeah. Concerning I mean, that's <laughs> you, you need to evaluate some things sure. if that is necessarily the case. Now, the flip side would also, I think, be true is if if everybody's applauding you on everything you say, mm-hmm. like that might be dangerous territory too. Yeah. I mean, you oh, might absolutely. be you might be wandering too far from the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's why I, I think there's a balance in there. And I, here's the deal: I think sometimes we'll know the balance when we can see it. Maybe we don't 
we can't vocalize it or, or articulate it as well as we yeah. we want to. But I think most people live somewhere in the balance, you know, sure. high or low. Yeah, I think so. And it's just, it's important to remember, I mean, Jesus makes it clear that the world's going to hate us. Um, if we are following him, like that's a, they hated him, they're going to hate us. It, it's a non-negotiable. So, I mean, that's something, uh, an overarching idea that you have to keep in the back of your mind. But I think part of the problem is, and particularly in the cultural moment that we're in now, is that for a lot, and again, there's exceptions, but for a lot of people out there, their hatred or their their strong negative connotations of the church is because, you know, we've not done a very good job. <laughs> we haven't been pre- uh, living what we preach. Uh, I mean, again, just over the last few years, there's been several high-profile uh, high pastors who have fallen from grace. Sure. Uh, that revealed to be abusers, revealed to be awful people. We have, you know, politicians on both the left and the right who will drop Jesus' commands when it's convenient for their political agenda, but then if they come across one that's the opposite of their political agenda, they'll conveniently forget it exists. Yeah. Uh, so it, another way of putting that is just there's rampant hi- hypocrisy or whatever. Uh, we want people, if they're going to hate us, we want it to be because of the righteousness that's in us that Jesus has given us. It's not because of our own self-righteousness or our own uh, being empty whitewashed tombs, as Jesus said. Right. And I mean, Russell Moore, as for the last several years, he said, of the guys and women, uh, the men and women that he's talked to who are leaving the faith or who are no longer plugged into a church, he says, for a lot of them, majority of them, it's not because they disagree with what the Bible teaches or what Jesus teaches. It's because um, they don't think the people who most loudly proclaim his name actually believe what Jesus teaches. And uh, that's something that should sober us to a degree. It's like, am I really... In my own life, am I committed to the teachings of Christ in every little way that I possibly can? And that leads us to the second part of the question, which is, you know, what do we do? Well, we find God's Word, Mm -hmm. and we try to live it. Now, we have to understand that there's going to be a level of hypocrisy with everybody that ever lives. I mean, nobody's going to live perfectly Mm -hmm. according to God's Word, but a humility about that, you know, in some movements and in some circles, there's almost this arrogance as if, hey, I'm perfect, Hypocrisy is more accepted when you're honest about it, mm-hmm. when there's confession and repentance yeah. and brokenness for yourself. But as Christians, we should tr- try, strive to live the Word of God out in our lives. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, it's going to be rejected sometimes. Sure. It's going to yeah. receive negative connotations. But may somebody be driven away by our genuine faith as opposed to our self-righteousness. That's right, yeah. Because if they're driven away by the our genuine faith, they're not driven away by us, they're driven away by Christ. But if they're driven away by our self-righteousness, then they're driven away by us. That's right, yeah. And so we want to make sure that we um, balance that out. But we also don't want to just go, well, let me be ashamed of the gospel, let me mm-hmm. be ashamed of the church, yeah, let me be ashamed right. of the truth, because Jesus was pretty clear about that. He ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before That's right, yeah. the Father. And so... We boldly stand for Christ and live His truth. So that's our deep dive for today. We'll be back in just a minute with our final takeaways from these verses.
All right, we're back to wrap up this episode of the Wordsmith Podcast. So what are your takeaways from these verses? You are the salt of the world. You are the light on a hill. Um, what's our big takeaway here? I think for me it would be the idea of faithful presence, that we need to, again, be what the Beatitudes talks about, uh, be committed to mourning what is worth mourning, to be to deal with persecution, and to still stay by Christ and the life that He's given us. But then we can't run from the world around us. We have to be present. Uh, we have to be in the world, but not of it. Um, and it, that's a hard balance to strike sometimes, obviously. Uh, I'm sure we all go through season, seasons where we do it well, and then other seasons where we don't do it so well. But it, it is what Christ calls us to, and by His grace and by His power, He's going to enable us to do so well. Ditto. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. I mean, it is, it's very similar to that. I mean, I think... So often, like being salt and light, and and it has to, it, it at least affects our our walk, um, and how we walk, and how we should walk, and live our lives. And I think so often we, when we're not walking, Matt alluded to this, when we're not walking so faithfully in seasons of our life, and and I don't know if we should or shouldn't, but. Um, we kind of let it spill over in, and man, am I really justified before God? Like, am I really oh, saved? Because yeah, yeah. if I was saved, should I still be struggling with this? Should mm. I still be dealing with this? Shouldn't I be able to be that salt perfectly and that light perfectly? And the answer is, I mean, yes and no. I mean, we should, we should, I should do it better now than I did ten years ago, but I'll never do it perfectly. Um, you know, this side of heaven. So, mm-hmm. I think there's this tension and this struggle, and I think that should be there. In the life of a Christian, there should be some level of tension and struggle in in the life of a believer between the the world that or, or our experience with sin and our standing with you know before God. So my big takeaway is I think the world needs us to be who the gospel calls us to be, mm-hmm. and it needs us to be genuine, authentic, growing Christians, and we need our lives to match up with what God's Word calls us to. And I mean, that's just a restatement of your guys' takeaway as well, because it's a clear takeaway of the Scripture here. Be salt and be light. The world needs it. So, great week of the Wordsmith Podcast, and we'll be back with you guys next week for Episode 4. No matter how you listen to the Wordsmith, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, almost anywhere that podcasts are played, we thank you for listening. Like us, review us, share us with a friend, and we'll see you guys next week.